Thank you for listening to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We aim to offer you a safe listening space to grow in your recovery. I hope today's show is an encouragement to you and brings you a sense of peace in your life. For updates on new content, follow us on social media at recoveryrefuge.care. Also, check out our website for any developments in our ministry at recoveryrefuge.care. Enjoy today's show. All right, so welcome back to the Recovery Refuge podcast. I'm here with Adam French, the founder of Recovery Refuge, and I'm the host, Hunter Abrams. So we're here today with Jill. Uh, Jill, tell us a little bit about yourself, how old you are, and dive into those details. Sure. Um, My name's Jill. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery for secret eating and codependency. I'm currently 47. I'll be 48 in September. And I guess a, a little bit about myself is I knew Jesus from a very, very young age, but that knowledge did not lead to life change or full surrender until I was probably in my 30s. One of the things we do on the show is just to give people an opportunity to talk about some of the the darkest moments in their lives because people tend to relate with our struggles and our weaknesses and our pain, not necessarily with our successes. And we want this to be a safe place where people can come and listen and feel like they have hope and they have peace. And so we always start though in when things are not so good. So just thinking back over your recovery, your struggles, what is that, that worst moment, that darkest part um, the moment when you felt the most alone and if you could put your finger on, you know what, this was my rock bottom. What was that for you? July 4th, 2016. I, at that point in my life was a very, very sick, undiagnosed codependent. And I didn't even really know what codependency was. Could you share what that is first? Um, I define codependency as um, an unhealthy need to be needed. And I derived 100% of my value from, are my kids good? Do they look good? Are their clothes pressed? Are they wearing wrinkled stuff just from the dryer because I'm trying to get them to do their own laundry? Like, it was all about image management and and making sure that they needed me and and I had value as long as they needed me so your value came from their image yeah interesting 100% and and things really started to unravel pretty quickly because I had spent so many years invested in the wrong things. You know, um, my husband Mitch and I lived in Florida for five years. And during that five-year time period, um, Hunter, he was 10 when his little brother was born. And I probably waited until he was 11 or 12. And then he became my babysitter so that I could go out and party with my girlfriends. And, and so I had invested so many years in all the wrong things that when we came to Tennessee at the end of 2013, Hunter was a junior in high school at that point. And I'm starting to realize that I'm really running out of time 
with my kids. And, and Hunter very much was born an old soul. And so he didn't need anything from the time he got his driver's license. He, even before he got his driver's license, we lived in Portland. He was, volu- he was volunteering and fully engaged at Life Church. In Hendersonville. And, in Hendersonville. And he would ride his bike from Portland to Hendersonville. No. So that he could just be at church and be doing all the things. And so even before he had his driver's license, he was pulling away and exerting his independence. And I was freaking out. Wow. So that was kind of, all right, you get your value and worth from him, you know, making sure he's great and he's going, I don't need you. I don't need, I, I want to adult. I right. want to, I want to spread my wings. I want to fly. And everything came to a head or to rock bottom, however you want to define that, on July 4th of 2016, because Hunter had just graduated high school in May, and he was getting ready to leave for college in August. And I think intrinsically, I knew when he moved out, he was not coming back. And he never did. He, he, he'll be married six years in December, and he's never lived under our roof again. And so on July 4th, I was trying to frantically make plans, you know, for something that we could do as a family. And he was also making plans and his plans had nothing to do with my plans. <laughs> there Shocked. were no plans. There, so I was just, it was, right. it was a blank canvas. At yes. That point. His plan but, was just to survive and yeah. be him. Right? He, yeah. he came out of his bedroom with his backpack on one shoulder and he's holding his car keys. And I'm like, well, well, where are you going? This was real early in the morning, too. Yeah. This was like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. Where are you going? Yeah. And he was like, I'm just, it's the 4th of July. Like, I'm I'm, I'm going out. Going you know, out. like, I'm going to hang I'm out. I'm a grown man. And I'm like. I expected you to quote the Iron Giant I, right there. I, 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 you fought I, it. I really wanted to. Yeah. Hogarth Hughes. I'm going out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's an old Harry Connick Jr. No, movie. No, no, no. But anyway, um, I was like. No, it's the 4th of July. We're going to do something together. And by the time that interaction was done, he apologized for what I still don't know. To keep the peace. Because yeah. I'm I'm losing it. Like I'm crying and screaming. And um, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. And my home life growing up was marked by rage and aggression and yelling. And I just always knew I didn't want a parent like that. And in that moment, I found myself doing all of those things I told myself I would never do. Mm. And um, he, he left and I felt really justified because he apologized. And then Mitch came home and uh, I'm still crying and upset. And he's like, you know, what's wrong? Right. We're still so sick. We don't even know it. And, and so I, I gave him the whole rundown and he was like, hmm, you kind of overreacted, don't you think? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Light no. the fire, put a little, put another log on the fire. No, I didn't overreact, <laughs> you know, but he was right, you know, and, and once I realized just how right he was and just how wrong I was, I had already kind of been dabbling and Celebrate Recovery, like I, I knew about the app, I knew about the website, I knew about the meeting locator. And and I, I think I think the Holy Spirit had laid that ministry on my heart because he 
knew how desperately I needed help. Right. But I I didn't know how desperately I needed help. And and just as an aside, as a fun fact, like along with my codependency, which which I consider my codependency to be the root of all of my character defects, but the main shoot was overeating and secret eating. And at that time I weighed about 220 pounds and I just was a picture of unhealth who never ate in front of anybody. My husband would even say, he would say, Jill, I don't really understand why you have a weight problem. You don't eat anything. And I'm like, yeah, I don't eat anything when you're watching. You you (laughs) almost like created like this space of like, it's it's wild to hear you say it because it's like, all right, I create this space where I feel like I'm going to do something that's, you know, trying to fulfill this hole in my heart. And because I'm doing it and I'm isolating, it's, you know, because eating is normal, right? Eating is normal, like, but you're going, I'm going to make this something that is trying to fulfill something that it can't. And that's what, uh, that's, in my opinion, one of Satan's biggest tricks is taking a very, very good thing. Food was a very is a very good thing. Alcohol can be a good thing, um, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But he takes it from what should be a secondary position in your life, and the whole point of addiction is he convinces you it's the primary seat. But the best, the best Indiana Jones moment he can pull off in swapping those is convincing you that he hasn't, and he can make you think. Because you attended church, being your son, I know that. We were in church every week. I was doing all these things, but he had, he'd pulled the swap on you. You still thought God was on the throne. You thought Jesus was the Lord of your life, King Jesus. But, but in reality, it had swapped. And I'm glad that you brought this up because for anyone listening to this, addiction is the pathway to destruction. It, while you struggled with... Um, you struggled with secret eating and overeating. At the end of the day, you could have taken the approach of, well, I'm going to get this surgery. I'm just going to start working out more. I'm just going to count my calories. I'm going to join this program. And you maybe could have mitigated the destructive nature of your addiction, but you wouldn't have solved the problem. And addiction, for anyone listening to this, addiction of any kind will destroy your life. I know me personally, when Adam asked me to be a part of this podcast, I kind of laughed and was like, well, I've never been addicted to anything. And then that made me think, and Adam literally like on the iPhone, he responded with the ha ha, like, and then didn't say anything else. And I thought, what is that supposed to mean? And then I thought about it. And the reality was I was addicted to something and it, it may not have been as immediately destructive, but, um, my addiction, my wife and I are well aware of this now is, uh, overworking and being a workaholic. That sounds like one of those cheesy things that, oh, I'm just a perfectionist and, my weakness is that I'm too good. I'm too much of a team player. So I always kind of thought workaholism was this, whatever. That's just your, that's your straw man argument to make you look better. But then my wife and I realized uh, pretty quickly that given the opportunity, I would work 12 to 14 hours a day, six, seven days a week without fail, without stop, just bury myself because I found my own value in it. And then my wife and my kids were just kind of fighting for the scraps of my life. And it led to that reality that all addiction is destruction. So I'm glad we're talking about this one in particular because it's one that you can, I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate 
medical conditions, but it's one that you can very easily blame. The overeating, the secret eating, it's one that you can real easily write off. And we've talked about in the past, the permissible sins. Right. And this is one that's rampant in the church. Yeah. And it, it, it gets a pass, similar to alcohol we've talked about on past episodes. It gets that pat, the, the hall pass of this, right. this one. That one's different. We're not going to talk about that one. So again, glad we're talking about it. Um, yeah. But in that, or you go ahead. Well, Asherita Chuchu is an author who wrote the book Full, and she says in that book that food is a very good gift from a very good God. It is simultaneously a very bad God. Wow. That's good. Now, let me let me ask you this. So just to go back, you were saying that, um, you know, you were getting you know, the moment that you you're, 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 you know, your rock bottom is when you were trying to do a good thing. You thought you were doing a good thing. And then the way you reacted kind of opened up something else that was going on, like your behavior. Is that kind of what you were saying when you were and you saw that? And I'm curious because. I know I, I like, I have good intentions and I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing. And then I will, a behavior will come out and I'm like, where did that come from? And, and so my next thing is like in that moment, like in that, that dark moment, that July the 4th, 2016, right? In that moment, what did you believe about God? Like, and, and what was, you know, what, where was your faith? And we'll come back and give you a chance to talk about where your faith is now. But I'm curious to just think like, hey, what what do you believe about God in that moment? And we'll talk about in a second <laughs> of what you believe about him today. I wholeheartedly believed first John one nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. But I was pretty naive because what that did for me was it put me in a perpetual sin, repent, sin cycle. And I was never experiencing any of the healing that James 5.16 talks about. I would always tell God I was sorry. I felt like I meant it, but I didn't really have any tools to do anything differently. So I'm not even going to tell you that my perception changed about God. My perception changed about the church because the church The capital C church, as much as I love the church, I surrender to Jesus when I was six years old. I go to church every weekend. I'm a church girl, but the church perpetuates, leave your problems at the door, keep the mask in place, praise God, hallelujah, everything's good, and don't ever share anything potentially embarrassing or sinful because you will lose all respect. Wow. That is absolutely not true. Yeah, then that's not what the church is about. That's it's a hospital what, for the sick. Yes. Yeah. And so when I went to that first Celebrate Recovery meeting, that first Friday in July of 2016, I did the ugliest cry you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. Like, like I'm not kidding. I had snot down oh below the bottom of my chin because I was crying so violently. And I confessed everything like everything i could think of to confess not that not that confession is what forgives me like i'm forgiven but i want the healing that james 5:16 talks about confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you might be healed the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective and 
And when I realized that I can confess to Jesus all day long and he's always going to forgive me, but unless I confess to another person, I'm never going to receive the healing he paid for. And and not only that, if my confession, quote unquote, is ambiguous and I say, you know, today's been a really, really hard day, then I think I can expect pretty ambiguous healing. But if I'm willing to go, oh my gosh, I volunteered this weekend at a youth retreat and they put me over hospitality and I was surrounded with all of this food and rather than trusting God and waiting for hunger and and not filling the tank before the fuel light came on, I chose to act out and I chose to act out with Lay's potato chips and cheddar cheese popcorn and I did all of that before dinner, I ate dinner. Then I went and got cantaloupe at Publix because I thought that would be a good for me snack only to go back to the retreat and have a slice of pizza again because it's 11 o'clock and I'm still awake. And so that actually happened this weekend, unfortunately. But I'm here to tell you, if my confession is detailed, then I can trust that my healing will also be very detailed. And I'm walking it. Wow, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. You know, and we talk about how, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets. And I think that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants to insulate and isolate. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen this. I, this, is, this was me in, in my life is I've been spiritually fit but emotionally sick. So I'm doing all the things that say, I'm a faithful follower of, of Jesus and my faith is genuine and I'm, and I'm confessing, I'm doing those things, but it wasn't, I wasn't really truly doing it, it deep inside my heart because there was really no willingness to say, here's what the real problem is. It's almost like God is the, you know, the playing Monopoly and you get the get out of jail free card. You're like, yes. I have just gotten free from any guilt, any consequence, any true responsibility in my part to change because I, I told God I was wrong. But what you're talking about is I'm going to another human being and saying, will you hold me accountable that I will do what I'll say mm. I will do? I, I got to disagree with Come you on, on I want to hear it. I okay? want to hear it. Because confession can't be pried out of me like a bad tooth. I have to be willing to make myself accountable. So if anybody ever comes to me and says, will you hold me accountable on that? No, I won't hold you accountable. You can make yourself accountable. You can willingly confess, but I'm never going to go to you, Adam French, and go, hey, are you being loving to Josie? Because if I stick my finger metaphorically in your chest and back you into a corner, the temptation is going to be very real for you to lie. Okay. But so if, you're saying you want to be, you want to be, you saying you need to have people that you know are not going to judge you, not going to, but, but they're not going to sugarcoat it. They're going to speak the truth in love. So accountability would look more like for you is I need to have somebody in my life that I know that at any moment I can go to confess sin and they're going to tell me the truth. Yes. And I, Go ahead. I was going to say, I do think that differs per person. I don't want to relegate it to a man woman issue, but there are sometimes some me included in this camp of where, yes, I need to make myself accountable to someone to your point, but I don't know if it's the redhead in me or what, but when someone comes to me and says, Hey, you're not doing good on this. 
it is a moment where I am called to the carpet to use that old saying. And I just me being me, I do respond well to it. And it could be a blind spot. But to your point, for some people, that's not going to work. They're going to armor yeah. up. They're going to shield. Shut they're down. possibly going to leave. They're not going to yeah. come back. And or they're just going to double down and lie. Exactly. Lie. And or, or like your dad's story and mine is too, is like when we've experienced religious abuse, you know, I like rules and regulations are tough for me. I remember one time I, I, I came to church. Uh, we were we were late and uh, I got there and I was like, man, I'm just trying to get to church. We're just trying to, you know, try not to be late. You know, and it was a guy that I really respected. He goes, well, you didn't make it. And I didn't say anything, but you know what? Like, I don't call that guy about anything. He's not in my life. I don't even want to talk to the guy. Now, I love him, but like, he's like, he's not a guy that I would trust and go, hey, I just, I just blew it. I just blew it this weekend. I blew it this morning with my kids or my wife. He's not that safe guy. So I love that we're, that we're talking about, about this. And I love that, um, how you distinguished of, you know, I believe the same things, but my expression of it inside and my actions of it were totally different once I realized, hey, I didn't have to pretend anymore. And I think there's a lot of people, I'm sure there's people that are listening right now going, you know, what, what am I pretending? I think that's a great question for any listener and for us to ask ourselves, like, is there anything in my life right now that I'm pretending not to be there? Because that's probably the thing that God wants to put his finger on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And to, to roll into the next question, um, my wife and I one time were visiting some family and we pulled up and they lived in a nice neighborhood and we pulled up and my wife, uh, being the sometimes loud person she is, she leaned out the window and she yelled, Hey, or something like that. And her family member received it well and, uh, laughed at it. But her spouse said, we don't do that in this neighborhood. And was very uppity about it and kind of came down on her for yelling, hey. For like saying hello? For saying hello. It came down on her for saying it loudly. Like it made him look bad. Was she trying to say like this is... This is a nice neighborhood. We don't do that here. That type of thing. So it was, it was, it was the first time we met this lady too. So it was not good. But to relate that to your story, you've never, at least it sounds like, you've never denied the loving and graceful nature of Jesus, but it was his spouse you had a problem with. 100%. And it was his spouse who made you feel like, we don't do that here. We don't yeah. do that in this neighborhood. Yeah. So to roll into the next question, we've heard about what you thought about uh, Christ's bride in the church before. Now that you've had your, your prodigal son moment, you've also had your moment of clarity. What do you believe about Jesus and his bride today, the church? Okay. Can I talk really quick, yeah. though, about that prodigal yeah. moment? Yeah. Because the moment of clarity, the moment when you was like, hey, I got Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so as the Lord would have it, you know, I started in recovery right there at the beginning of July. And at Long Hollow, we do step studies typically in the fall and in the spring. So there was a step study starting in August. I was able to get into that step study at Long Hollow and, um, amazing, amazing women of God in this room. And so I, I did step four, you know, step four is the timeline. It's, it's called NCR as an inventory is what it's known as. But, but I, I literally, I had to write down so many offenses, you know, from my past and I ended up sharing the inventory with my step study leader. She was not my sponsor, 
But I just asked her if she would allow me to share it with her. And Wait, real quick. So like inventory, just you're listening, if you haven't heard this, inventory is any, you, you take a moment and you just, you do a checks and balance almost. You go through your entire life and you look at all your sins, all your struggles, people you've harmed. Harm who been, I've offended and who's offended yeah, who's me. Offended, harm that's been done to you. Yes. And then that's kind of step four. And then step five is when you share that with somebody. So when she's saying, I didn't even really know this person well, it wasn't my person I, I chose, that's a big step of yes. faith. So yes. go ahead. So so I asked my step study leader if I could share my inventory with her. And she was so gracious. And she gave me like that one silver bullet of clarity that I feel like had been missing for the first 40 years of my life. And so I'm, I'm reading all of my entries. And in one of the entries, um, I had to share about a childhood sexual trauma. And it happened when I was somewhere between the ages of six and eight. But I didn't talk about it with any, like, not one solitary soul. Never before. Outside of me and that other person knew it until I started this step study. And and in step studies, you know, there there are several times during that process where the the booklets will ask the question, what's your family secret? And the first time that question was asked, I was like, lie, do whatever I have to do to just not share that one thing. The second time I didn't share it. The third time they asked, what's your family secret? I shared with my step study sisters through really, really like timidity and tears what had happened to me as a kid. And I was shaking when I like, we ended up stopping step study just so they could come around me and pray for me. So when it came time to share my inventory, I got to that entry and my step study leader who also identifies with disordered eating, but hers was bulimia. And she said to me, she said, because of my past, I felt like the only way I could ever be clean or pure was if I was empty, hence the purging. She said, but what if in your case, You've been doing everything you can do to keep that secret from bubbling up. So you just keep piling food on top of it to weigh it down. Almost. Wow. So she so that it wouldn't gain the buoyancy to come out. Wow. And I remember that night just thinking to myself. This is why confession is so important, because, yes, you're right. We're only as sick as our secrets. But if I don't have any secrets, then what do I need to pile food on top of? You know, so, so after that evening, I started telling people. I'm healed and I'm free, but I will probably spend the rest of my life breaking bad habits. Like a lot of what happens with overeating, it just becomes a comfortable bad habit. And and the trauma has been addressed. Everything has been exposed. All confessions have been made. Now I simply have to listen for that still small voice of the Holy Spirit at mealtime when my tank is empty and my body's calling for food. I have to listen for the Holy Spirit to go, hey, hey. Like, yeah, that's enough. Well, th- mm-hmm. that, thank you, first of all, for sharing that. And, yeah, and uh, for rerouting it because yeah. it would have been that's powerful. Yeah, missed. you know, I think I love what you said because uh, alcohol and drugs are a symptom. 
Very much. <laughs> it's just a symptom of the root problem, and it's a soul sickness. We have a soul sickness, and it looks different for people, and a lot of times it's, it's wounds. I talk about, That's what my whole book is about, is about wounded men, right? Well, we all have wounds is, is a part of it. So I love the fact that you said, yeah, you know, everything that you were struggling with was just a behavior and a consequence. It was just a part of the root problem that was happening inside of me. And even though I may still have to work out my salvation, still being sanctified in my humanity, that root problem is gone and it can't sink me to the bottom anymore. We still got to swim. Yes. Like we don't get to just float along in life, but we get, we got to swim, but we're not being weighed down to the bottom where we don't have a chance. Right. So that's just powerful. I love uh, how you shared that. And um, so you want to talk about just kind of recovery refuge and kind of will some of this, bring some of this home? Yeah. So, um, oh wait, no, is she going to talk about question four? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so what, what do you believe about? Uh, God, Jesus, and the church now? Well, first of all, I believe that Celebrate Recovery is the purest form of the church because I'm not just getting up and saying I'm sister so-and-so. I'm getting up and I'm saying, hey guys, I love Jesus, but I'm very, very broken, which is something that I feel like the church is missing. Um, I have a dear loved one who's in the ministry, and he came to me and he said, Jill, I hear you but I'd be fired in two weeks. Really? Mm, I've been there. Yeah. I've been you there. know, and it's really, really sad. So what do I believe about God quick? today? Can I yeah. share something real quick? And I, I believe that God's design for redeeming humanity is the church. And the church isn't an address or a name or a logo. It's people, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not bad man. We love church. I, lo- I give my life to it. I love it. I'm like you. I'm there all the time. Yeah. But I'll never forget. i was in a difficult situation. I was pastoring a church and I told him, I just came forward. I said, man, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I was, it was, I was struggling with anxiety. That's what was happening. And I, I remember the church saying, when you're better, you can come back. Mm. And you know where I ran to? We don't like that in this neighborhood. You know where I ran? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're too loud. <laughs> oh goodness. I love that. Was perfect. You, you know where I ran to? I went home and I Googled Celebrate because I, I I didn't have it was it wasn't here it wasn't locally I Googled Celebrate Recovery and I I remember crying in the parking lot I'm ten years sober been pastoring for eight years I was weeping in the park, parking lot because I was scared to go in but I knew if I could just get to my CR people I would be okay again so I just want to just say. I, I agree with that, and no matter where you're at or what you're going through, and no matter if you're listening and you've been wounded, maybe you're a victim of someone who's hurt you in the church. If you're listening, I want you to know CR may be your door in. That may be your on-ramp. I want you to know it's a safe place no matter what you've been through, where you've gone. You can come, and that might be your first moment of encountering and receiving the grace and love of Jesus that Amen. you know is there, but you didn't experience because of broken people so yes go ahead and so what do i believe about god today confession is a very big part of that for me because for the longest time i just wanted to i just wanted to be more like jesus i just wanted to look more like jesus i wanted to smell like you know like um i an evangelist when i was in my late 20s said i wasn't even a christian but my aunt martha oozed Jesus. And so, you know, like I want to ooze Jesus. And, and so I, I just want it to be evident. But one of the things that I feel like the Lord has revealed to me about himself, about the Trinity is 
I don't really look a whole lot like Jesus when I'm getting everything right. I look like pride when I'm getting everything right. When, when I'm struggling and I'm having to confess to my accountability partners and I'm having to make myself accountable every day, step 10 says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And when I'm working the steps and specifically working step 10, that's when I look like Jesus because of what's step 10 step 10 is we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted for the it. day so like the fourth and fifth is like for your life yes. and then that's kind of like your maintenance step what they call it yes. like you know and for the for a, for an for a believer who hasn't been in the world of recovery it would look like I'm confessing my sins you know like every day I'm beginning on my knees tangibly walking out James yeah. 5 16 right basically right. <clears throat> but whenever I whenever I do that and I make myself transparent, transparency and intimacy really go hand in hand. And I heard Pastor Rich Wilkerson say that intimacy, think of it as into me see. And when I am transparent with the safe people in my life and they're seeing in me, into me see, they're not seeing me. I'm transparent and they're seeing through me to Jesus. And so I feel like working the steps is the best, most tangible way for me to cooperate with the sanctification process and eventually experience the John 10, 10 life that Jesus paid for. And John 10, 10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I have come that you might have life to the full. And he didn't just live that we might have that life. He died. He died such a violent death. We couldn't even have watched it firsthand. And if he was willing to pay that much of a price, why would I not be willing to make myself vulnerable through accountability and confession so that I might experience everything he paid for. Man. Yeah. Which made it end right there. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so her next sermon will be, <laughs> no, that is so true. And I hope, and I know people are, are in their cars, they're running, they're having a cup of coffee. They're, they're going to be listening to this and they're going to need to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. And our last question is supposed to be, why is there such a need for recovery refuge? But I just feel like everything we've said leading up to that is the reason because we need that place. We need that person who you can ugly cry to. We need that person that we can go, this is everything I've done and I'm giving this to you and I want you to speak the truth in love. And they actually do. And they love us. They care about us. They support us. So if you're listening and and you know someone or you're strapped or you're, or you're struggling with recovery, you're stuck in a place, one, you can always find a Celebrate Recovery near you. I know that's your heart, so I want to say that. Um, you can go to CelebrateRecovery.com, and, and there's a little um, search engine there where you can find any uh, Celebrate Recovery near you. But also, you can go to RecoveryRefuge.care, find out more about how to support what we do. And um, so, yeah, uh, Hunter, you want to say anything before we go? No, I think that wraps it up. I think, I think we're good. So thank you for your time. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.
Thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We always appreciate it when you share this podcast on your social media platforms to help get the word out. You never know whose life will be saved or impacted in the world of recovery because you chose to share. To learn more about Recovery Refuge or to support us, go to www.recoveryrefuge.care. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, today is a great day to have a great day.